Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Friday, January 12, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. Turning to our top stories, Riverside weather is making headlines with an expected high of 59.7 degrees and a low of 42.9 on this brisk day of January 12, 2024. In international news, the US and UK military forces have engaged in a joint operation, executing airstrikes on Houthi targets in Yemen, a significant move in response to the escalating threats in the Red Sea region. We'll explore the implications of this action and the reactions from the global community. Closer to home, the iconic Golden Gate Bridge now features its long-awaited suicide deterrent system. Amidst the challenges faced during its construction, officials express hope that this new safety feature will ultimately save lives. We'll bring you the in-depth coverage on the installation process and the anticipated impact. And in a discovery that's rocking the field of archaeology, experts have unearthed a cluster of lost cities deep within the Ecuadorian Amazon. This remarkable find is turning heads and challenging long-held preconceptions about the region's history and culture. Stay tuned as we dive into details about these ancient urban landscapes hidden beneath the rainforest canopy. Stay with us for the full stories here on Alex's News. We turn now to our top story of the day, where the US and UK militaries have launched airstrikes on Houthi targets in Yemen. For an in-depth look at these significant military actions and their implications, our reporter Ethan joins us. Ethan, can you bring us up to speed on the current situation? Absolutely, Grace. The US and UK have conducted coordinated airstrikes on over 60 Houthi targets across 16 locations in Yemen. President Joe Biden ordered these strikes as a direct response to the repeated drone and missile attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea, which have been traced back to the Houthi rebels. This sounds like it's escalating quickly. Could you delve more into the exact targets that were hit and their significance? Sure thing. The targets included a mix of command and control nodes, munitions storage facilities, and air defense radar systems used by the Houthis. These are key military assets that have supported their ability to launch attacks. By striking these, the US and UK intend to cripple the Houthis' operational capabilities, especially regarding their strikes against Red Sea shipping. Now, this isn't the first time the US has been involved militarily in Yemen, correct? That's right. The US has conducted nearly 400 airstrikes in Yemen since 2002, mainly targeting al-Qaeda and ISIS militants. However, this is the first known instance of a direct strike against the Houthis, marking a significant shift in military focus. Talking about the implications, can you speculate on the potential consequences these airstrikes might have? One immediate implication is the clear message to the Houthis that their actions on international waters won't be tolerated. However, the escalation runs the risk of drawing the US and UK deeper into the Yemen conflict. There's also the question of how this might affect civilian populations and if it could lead to further regional instability. We've also seen the UN Security Council getting involved. What's the stance of the international community on this? Right, Grace. The Security Council has condemned the Houthi actions, calling for an immediate ceasefire in the region. There's a broad international consensus that these attacks on commercial shipping are unacceptable, as they threaten a critical global trade route. Moreover, the coalition involved in these strikes is quite extensive, including Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands. And how have these Houthi attacks affected commercial interests in the Red Sea? They've had a dramatic impact. 
reports indicate that the freedom of navigation is at risk, pushing insurance premiums up for shipping across this pivotal waterway. This, in turn, is leading to increased costs that shipping companies are passing on to consumers. There's still criticism coming from certain corners, though. Can you tell us more about that? Indeed, Iran, for example, has condemned the airstrikes, claiming they infringe on Yemen's sovereignty and violate international law. This opposition could further strain already tense relations in the region and might impact future diplomatic efforts toward peace. Before we wrap up, where did you get these updates from? Our understanding of the situation is synthesized from detailed reports provided by CBS News and The Wall Street Journal. They've been closely monitoring the developments and responses from all involved parties. Thank you, Ethan, for that comprehensive overview. That's certainly a situation we'll continue to monitor. Chloe, the decades-long initiative to install a suicide deterrent system on the Golden Gate Bridge has finally been completed. Can you walk us through this significant development? Absolutely, Grace. After years of persistent advocacy from survivors and families who have experienced tragedy on the bridge, there's now a sense of accomplishment. The bridge, sadly noted for the number of suicides, has been equipped with stainless steel netting beneath its surface aimed at preventing these impulsive suicide attempts. So, who has been at the forefront of pushing for this project? One notable advocate has been Kevin Hines. He himself is a survivor of a suicide attempt off the Golden Gate Bridge. His determination, along with that of other survivors and affected families, has been instrumental in making this deterrent system a reality. With such a significant project, there must have been some challenges along the way, right? Certainly. The budget, for one, was a contentious point. Initially approved at $76 million back in 2014, the project experienced significant cost overruns ballooning to $224 million. This not only led to heated debates but also caused delays, with the installation postponed several times. It was quite a prolonged journey considering the project was approved over a decade ago. What were some of the oppositions to the netting system? Aesthetic impact was a major concern. Critics worried that the netting would mar the Golden Gate Bridge's iconic views. Some bridge authority members resisted the project initially for this reason. However, the argument that it could save lives won out in the end, emphasizing the urgency of preventing impulsive behavior that leads to tragedies. I'm curious, Chloe, how effective is this netting in actually preventing suicides? Well, that question came up as well. There was skepticism about whether determined individuals could simply climb over and jump. Yet, as construction neared completion, the numbers were telling a hopeful story. Annually, the average dropped from 30 jumps to 14, suggesting that the deterrent effect was indeed taking hold even before the project was fully completed. Besides the logistical and aesthetic concerns, were there any legal challenges during the process? Yes, there were. The leading contractors, Shimmick Construction Company and Danny's Construction Company, filed a lawsuit against the Golden Gate Bridge, Highway and Transportation District over the delays and cost overruns. That legal battle is part of the complex tapestry of this project's challenges. Now, given the public's involvement in the process, can you tell us about the selection of the particular netting system? The design that was ultimately chosen was inspired by smaller-scale net systems from around the world, which had already seen success. There was a community selection process involving public input, ensuring that the community played a role in deciding how to address this sensitive issue. What's the state of the deterrent system as of now? Reporting as of January 2024, 
The netting system is installed on about 95% of the bridge on both the east and west sides. There hasn't been information on alternative proposals, indicating this is the primary solution being pursued for suicide prevention on the Golden Gate Bridge. It's certainly a milestone for both mental health and safety for the iconic landmark. Thank you, Chloe, for your in-depth analysis on this important and sensitive issue. You're welcome, Grace. It's been crucial to keep this discussion on mental health interventions at the forefront, and it's heartening to see such a significant step being taken. Good morning, viewers. Here are some other headlines making news today. In international legal news, Israel has taken a firm stance at the United Nations' highest court, defending itself against allegations of genocide in the conflict with Palestinians. South Africa has challenged Israeli actions in Gaza, seeking an immediate halt to military operations. Despite skepticism about the impartiality of international tribunals, Israeli leaders are actively engaging with the case presented before the International Court of Justice. Moving to economic developments, Tesla has announced a temporary shutdown of its Berlin factory due to logistical disruptions in the Red Sea, where Houthi militant actions have created significant shipping delays. This pause in production reflects the broader impact of regional instability on global trade and supply chains. In related news, the United States has intensified its military presence in the Middle East following airstrikes targeting Houthi rebels in Yemen. The operation aims to curtail attacks on shipping routes but has also heightened regional tensions, with both Iran and Saudi Arabia reacting to the escalation of violence in war-torn Yemen. Turning to U.S. politics, Iowa's Republican voters are reportedly shifting focus away from the abortion issue as the 2024 elections approach. This reassessment of campaign priorities follows observations that the Democrats have been successful in rallying voters around abortion rights, prompting the GOP to reconsider their strategy. In legal affairs, former President Donald Trump has continued his combative approach during a high-stakes civil trial, dismissing allegations against him as politically motivated attacks. Amidst closing arguments, Trump remains unwavering in his defense while facing financial claims amounting to $370 million. And finally, in education news, a new initiative by the U.S. Department of Education aims to speed up student loan forgiveness for eligible borrowers under the Saving on a Valuable Education Plan. This policy is part of ongoing efforts to alleviate the financial burden for thousands of Americans dealing with student debt. Those are some of the critical issues from around the world and at home. Keep watching for more on these and other stories throughout the day. We're turning now to an absolutely fascinating discovery that's emerging from the depths of the Ecuadorian Amazon rainforest. Archaeologists have uncovered what can only be described as a remarkable piece of our pre-Columbian past a cluster of lost cities once occupied by the Upano people nearly 2,000 years ago. Joining us for an in-depth analysis, we have Ethan, our news correspondent who has been following this story closely. Ethan, can you tell us more about this groundbreaking find and its significance? Absolutely, Grace. This is a truly exciting time in the field of archaeology. The discovery of these lost cities provides a whole new perspective on what civilization looked like in the Amazon before the arrival of Europeans. You see, we often think of the Amazon as this wild, untouched frontier, but this find reveals a complex and organized society that flourished in the rainforest. It's intriguing to think there were established cities in a place we've always considered untamed, 
How did researchers manage to stumble upon this site after all these years? Well, it all began over two decades ago when archaeologist Stefan Rostein spotted these potential sites. Only recently, though, were researchers able to truly explore and map out the area. And they did this using cutting-edge technology called litter, which uses lasers to penetrate the dense canopy and reveal structures hidden beneath the vegetation. That's quite the technological advancement. What exactly did the litter reveal about these settlements and the people who lived there? The laser sensor technology painted a picture of a dense network of settlements connected by roadways. Imagine residential buildings, ceremonial sites, and vast agricultural fields with intricate drainage systems, all evidence of an advanced society. Some of the main roads were even 33 feet wide and stretched for up to 12 miles. Roads that large and extensive certainly suggest a high degree of organization. Do we have any idea about the population size of these lost cities at their peak? Indeed, we do. Estimates suggest the area could have supported at least 10,000 inhabitants, and possibly as many as 15,000 to 30,000 people. To put that into perspective, that's around the population size of some well-known Mayan societies we see in Mexico. This really challenges what we thought we knew about the Amazon and pre-Columbian societies. How might these findings alter our understanding of the region and the civilizations that live there? These findings are revolutionary. They're changing our perception of Amazonian cultures from predominantly nomadic or residing in smaller settlements to being capable of sustaining large, organized cities. And remember, this isn't an isolated case. Similar discoveries in other regions of the Amazon suggest a much richer human presence than we'd previously assumed. With these other significant civilizations you mentioned, like the Kassarabe and the one in the southern Amazon Rim, do these discoveries suggest a re-evaluation of the entire Amazon Basin's historical population? Precisely, Grace. Past estimates put the Amazon's pre-Columbian population at around 2 million people, scattered primarily along the rivers. But these cities imply a much larger population, which could fundamentally reshape our understanding of indigenous cultures and their footprint on the environment. I suppose this has tremendous implications for both archaeology and anthropology, as well as for our present-day consideration of the Amazon's cultural heritage? That's right. These lost cities underscore the Amazon's potential to support advanced and diverse societies. It's a legacy that extends far beyond what's been traditionally recognized. This research isn't just about rewriting history books, it's about paving the way for future discoveries and fostering a deeper appreciation of the Amazon's cultural heritage. Fascinating insights, Ethan. Thank you for taking us through this incredible archaeological journey and unveiling a hidden chapter of human history. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.